Chapter Seven of the Lake Mystery by Marvin Dana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven Haphazard Questing. Masters, who was not minded to let the value of a small weekly stipend stand between him and the possession of riches, had now abandoned even the pretense of work. He let it be known casually at the cottage that he was temporarily idle while awaiting orders as a matter of fact he was awaiting the dismissal that now could not be long delayed to may however he confessed the truth that he had chosen to sacrifice a paltry certainty for the sake of possible wealth she had protested against the recklessness of his conduct but her pleas had fallen on deaf ears. Masters went his way of crafty greed without a moment's faltering. He had exulted on learning from the conversation overheard among the three friends that the systematized search was to be abandoned in favor of a foolish fancy, as he deemed it. While Saxe Temple and his companions loitered in expectation of some psychic guidance, masters would give himself to the quest with an energy that must win him the victory it was in a very cheerful frame of mind that he betook himself to the cottage on the following morning upon his arrival however he was at once confronted with a new phase of the situation which filled him with rage the engineer found mrs west and billy walker chatting cosily on the porch as usual. Mrs. West beamed kindly in her greeting, for she enjoyed the breezy manner of this handsome young man. Billy merely grunted. To judge from the expression of his face, the utterance were better inarticulate. Masters leaned his long length against a pillar at the head of the flight of steps, and joined genially in the conversation for a few minutes despite the manifest grumpiness of billy walker who never a courtier was at no pains to conceal his distaste for the engineer's society mrs west however was amiability itself and masters was minded to ignore the superciliousness of the other man's manner though fully conscious of it he felt that under the circumstances he could ill afford to be too finical over such a trifle, notwithstanding the irritation to his vanity. So he rolled a cigarette from the chip tobacco and wheat straw paper which he affected, and chatted jauntily with Mrs. West. When he deemed that a sufficient interval had elapsed, the engineer prepared the way to continue his delayed search of the cottage. I'll just take a look inside. Miss Thurston promised me a book. Forthwith, he reprobated himself for having employed this particular ruse, for Mrs. West said, Miss Thurston isn't in the cottage, Mr. Masters. You will find her down at the boathouse. Masters thanked her with his most winning smile and strolled away toward the lake. Mrs. West looked after him with a femininely appreciative smile. "'What a delightful gentleman Mr. Masters is,' 
she remarked innocently to Billy, by way of answer. There came a rumbling, luckily again quite inarticulate. Forced thus by his own error to postpone the anticipated investigation, Masters was in no pleasant mood as he made his way to the boathouse, with the intention of venting his spite on the girl who loved him. But even this relief was not to be vouchsafed him yet. On the contrary, his displeasure was swiftly to become wrath, venomed by alarm, for, as he drew near the boathouse, he heard a chorus of merry voices. Instantly, he realized that the other men were here where he had expected to find only May and possibly Miss West. Fury mounted high at the thought. A fierce, unreasoning jealousy bit at him. So great was his emotion under these confederate causes that, for once, he forgot discretion and passed with hasty steps around the boathouse, totally heedless of the distraught expression on his usually debonair countenance. As the engineer rounded the corner, a scowl bent his brows at sight of the scene before him. The summer morning was of bland sun and gentle airs to set the carefree in a mood for lazy delights. The group of four, it was plain, had yielded to the soft seduction of the hour, for their faces were radiant. Roy Morton was sitting, in a boyish attitude, on the top of a snubbing post, about which his long legs were twined for security's sake, while May Thurston cuddled at his feet, her face uplifted, her eyes rapt, as she listened to some tale told from the book of his adventures. The spectacle infuriated masters, and new fuel fed the flame as his eyes fell on the other two. These had their backs to the newcomer, who approached immediately behind them. Margaret sat at the edge of the dock, leaning against a post, in a posture of perfect comfort peculiarly exasperating to the observer. A little to the right, and so placed as to face the girl, Saxe sat, with his feet folded under him like a Turk. Masters noted, even in this gusty moment, that his rival was an especially good-looking young man of the shaven, clean-cut type most esteemed by the contemporary illustrator. The engineer appreciated the type of which he himself was the exemplar, and appreciated it indeed at its full worth, but, having a fair degree of intelligence, he knew that woman admired also the vigorous, wholesome and cultured man of the kind there before him though he had not the least fear for his own prowess where the hearts of women were concerned, he could not disguise from himself the fact that here was one who might easily prove a dangerous rival were the opportunity given. Sachs had just done with explaining to Miss West the reason for the new era of idleness, which the day had inaugurated for himself and his two companions. With Billy Walker, the era was merely continued. It must be confessed that Sachs had cast a reconnoitering glance toward Roy before beginning his recital, and that he held his voice lowered throughout the telling. He knew that this confidence to the girl, whom, 
to a certain extent, at least, the others distrusted, might be deemed by them the height of folly. But he was past respecting their opinions in aught that concerned her and him. So he told her freely of the decision to abandon systematic search in favor of a recondite dependence upon occult inspiration. Margaret's interest in the narrative was of the sincerest, and it delighted him. Her manner of receiving the information was proof enough to his mind that she harbored no least desire for his failure in this undertaking. His heart was in a glow of happiness, as she bent a little toward him, her face all eagerness, her limpid eyes dazzlingly blue in the brilliant light. She met his gaze squarely, as she voiced her protest against the course adopted. Oh, but, Mr. Temple, the time's so short. Less than three weeks now. It isn't safe. The two were in this attitude of absorbed intimacy when Master's glance fell upon them. The evident intensity of their interest in each other capped the climax of his rage. He strode forward, with a sneer arching the heavy moustache. At the sound of his steps, the group looked up, and, in varying fashion, each of the four showed unmistakable signs of dissatisfaction at this interruption of the conversation. Masters so far forgot his manners as to make no response to the rather curt nods with which the two men greeted him. Instead, he halted abruptly and stared, glowering, at Margaret and Sachs. After the first moment of astonishment at the engineer's discourteous manner, Sachs's expression of animation died out suddenly, to be replaced by a set severity that augured ill for him who should challenge it. Roy's jaw shot out a little, and the veil dropped over his eyes, which, a moment before, had been mild and deep. Margaret could only regard the malevolent face of Masters with sheer amazement, as his wrathful eyes met hers. It was May who saved the situation. She sprang to her feet with a little cry, which might have been of pleasure or of pain. With the intuition of a loving woman, she seized instantly on the fact that something had thrown her lover from his customary poise. Without a particle of hesitation, she employed the first ruse suggested by her woman's wit. "'Oh, you did come, after all, in spite of that horrid tooth.' She had no least idea as to the cause that had put the man in this tempestuous temper, but she realized the necessity of restoring him to some measure of self-control ere he should commit himself hopelessly by a violent outbreak. The fiction concerning the tooth rose to her lips without conscious volition on her part, the grimace with which Masters faced her, though merely a physical symbol of fury, might well have had its origin in a spasm of pain. As he met May's dismayed and imploring eyes, sanity rushed back on the engineer. By a stern effort, he fought back the flooding wrath. His face worked a little, then settled into a grim repose. While the others waited in silence for the outcome, he suddenly smiled crookedly. 
I had a frightful twinge while I was coming through the woods, but that didn't matter so much, because I was alone and could make faces and say just what I wanted to. But I do think it was unkind of fate to visit the worst twinge of a jumping toothache on me at the very instant when I stepped into the presence of company. Forgive me the face I made, please. His big eyes were shining gently now, where before they had been blazing. His demeanor was convincing to the unsuspicious Margaret, who, having once experienced a jumping toothache, was prepared to accept it as full justification for any desperate deed. Of the others, May felt a profound relief in finding that he had so swiftly made use of her offered help, and, for the moment, this satisfaction contented her. Roy adjusted his jaw in a less belligerent fashion, as contempt took the place of anger. Sachs found himself smiling, genuinely amused over the fancy of so piratical-seeming a person in the throes of toothache. Neither of the men, however, had the slightest doubt that May had offered an ingenious excuse to account for the engineer's savage manner, and forthwith, Sachs and Roy began to wonder mightily as to what, in fact, had occurred to destroy so completely the ordinary suavity of this young gentleman whom they cordially detested. Mrs. West sent her servant, Chris, in quest of Margaret, and soon afterward, May and Masters also went to the cottage, without troubling much for an excuse so that the two friends were left alone together on the dock. But, before they had time to voice their common astonishment over the scene that had just passed, they were confronted by Jake, who, as they looked up at his approach, bobbed his head at them, and winked with a fine air of mystery. When he spoke, he addressed himself directly to Roy, for the love each of them bore to niceties of mechanism sealed their sympathy. "'Well, what's new, Jake?' Roy demanded amiably. Another series of bobbings and winks emphasized the importance of the forthcoming communication. Then, finally, he spoke in a husky whisper, for secrecy's sake. "'Thought I'd look in on ye, and tell ye I got an idea.' "'Capital, Jake!' Roy's tone was distinctly encouraging. "'What's it all about?' "'It's this way,' Jake began, with manifest pride in the importance of the coming revelation. "'You see, I know something about the house up thar,' he nodded over his shoulder in the direction of the cottage. "'That you chaps don't. That's what—' At this preamble— Sachs, who had been giving only desultory attention to the old man, quickly ceased looking out over the lake, and gave ear to what the boatman was saying, while Roy, too, displayed a new interest. Jake was plainly gratified by the effect he had wrought on his hearers, and he proceeded with a note of pride in his voice. "'That's one thing about that thar cottage that you ain't on to.' And, thinking as how you want likely to be, I says to myself, says I, I'll just put em wise, seein' as how ye come 
to a kind of standstill, as it were. Thanks, Jake, Roy said. We surely need any help we can get at this stage of the game. Go ahead. The cottage was an uncouth structure. It had originally been a story and a half building, and to this Abernethy had added a sort of wing to make the music room, and eventually this portion had become the principal bulk of the edifice, for domestic offices had been joined to it, and a second story set above, in which were a number of bedrooms. It was in reference to this second story on the wing that Jake now came with tidings for the treasure-seekers. "'See Hatch did that thar job,' he said, with a wheezy chuckle of amused reminiscence. "'Sim means well, but, tween you and me and the lamp-post, he ain't worth shucks as a carpenter, and Jiner, no, three. Well, being a cussed fool, see miscalculated somehow, and left bout two foot space at the forward end tween the outside wall and the last to that side of the bedroom. I supposed, of course, the old man'd be madder'n a hornet, but he only jest grinned some, and says to me, says he, it'll save that much floorin' for the bedroom, yes. That's nummy, he did. Mighty clus, the old man was. Jake paused and regarded the listeners with merry twinkling eyes. Not so be as the gold's in thar, he concluded. Of course, tain't likely, but it might so be. He stood silent, awaiting comment. We are tremendously obliged, Jake, Roy declared promptly and Saxe added a phrase of appreciation. "'Do we have to tear the house down to get into the space?' Roy continued. Jake shook his head vehemently. "'Not a bit on it,' he declared, and he forthwith gave vent to another chuckling series of explosions. "'You see, the old man was clus, as I said. "'That's right,' He was glammed close, meaning no disrespect. You know that thar closet in the front hall upstairs, by the bedroom door? Well, the old man said that they wa'n't no earthly use a wastin' good timber put in a back to that closet, with plasterin' and all. So, he just had paper put up. You break away at the paper and then you can sidle right in tween the outside wall and the lath of the bedroom. Thought it might be worth while just to look in, as it were. Indeed, we shall look in, Saxe declared. And we're tremendously grateful to you, Jake, for the tip. Because we need a lot of help, I'm thinking. Roy nodded assent. We appreciate the kindness, old chap he exclaimed, and let me tell you that I'm going to show my friendship by getting you a decent berth, after this wild adventure is over and done with, where you'll have the chance of your life. Your skill with engines is wasted here. It's way off in Cuba, but it'll be worth your while. Would you like that? You bet ye, 
was the sententious answer of the boatman, as he turned to lead the way toward the house. Presently, he chuckled yet once again, contentedly, and added, "'My old woman always has been a pinin' to travel in furrin' parts.'" End of chapter 7